Hey, dude, this dog like stinks, man. Okay, groomer, do something about it, man. you pet stylists you found the groom pod welcome to our virtual salon my name is Susie, and i'm your host i'm a mobile groomer from seattle washington and anyone who knows me will tell you i love to talk especially about my job one of my favorite people to talk to is my friend and mentor and co-star of the show miss barbara bird yo Susie. How's it going this week? Well, we woke up with a surprise snowfall this morning, so my afternoon of grooming has been canceled, which means I have a lovely half a day off. I love that. Welcome to episode 365 of the Groom Pod, recorded on February 26th in 2023. I got it right this time. Snohomish, Washington, Tucson, Arizona, and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. This podcast is brought to you by our kind sponsors, Best Shot, Show Season, Evolution Shears, Groom more and Stasco. And if you guys would like to tip your podcasters, you can do so by going to our website, thegroompod.com, and using the donation button and the Patreon button. We have a special guest. We have <laughs> Helen Schaefer with us today. It's so exciting. We're going to talk to her. And first of all, what's new is brought to you by Groomore Software. If you haven't found Groomore, you're missing out. Groomore is an all-in-one software solution for your grooming business. Whether you are a solo mobile groomer or manage several shops, Groomore has everything you need. 24-hour online booking and forms, routing, credit card processing, reminders, Google Calendar and QuickBooks integration, and so much more. And the best customer service anywhere. Shop mobile or house call, Groomore has you covered. And they're giving us a free month. Just enter GroomPod22 in the coupon code. I never knew how important it was to have a table that goes down low. My original table, which I've had since 1998, it was tall and it went taller. As a matter of fact, I couldn't even have my whole lips on top of it because it would hit the ceiling of the trailer. But I got a new table, in case you didn't hear, my table pulled out of the floor. It was an exciting day. And I put a new base on my table that goes almost all the way down. I didn't even recognize what an advantage it is to be able to put big dogs down and see like the top line at eye level. It's like a whole new world. My grooming has improved with this table. I'm so proud of myself. Who knew? <laughs> Do you drop your table all the way down, you guys? Oh, I should say, um, Helen is here with us and, and joining in the whole uh, fun thing. So we're going to have three of us talking. We'll try not to talk over each other. Barbara, do you drop your table down to work on the bigger dogs? Well, I adjust my height accordingly, you know, but I rarely do I groom with it all the way down. Well, you're not doing huge dogs that much. I've got a lot of golden retrievers. Yeah. Some of them I'm related to. You know, which, <laughs> yeah, like my niece got a big, goofy golden retriever. And the dogs react differently, too. Here's the other thing my bathtub is at boob height because it was built yeah. ergonomically for me. But when I get big dogs in there, they tower over me. And my table, it was a single pedestal table. So when the dogs got on it, it shook like crazy. You know, like the dog would be standing up there and I'd have to lean against it. So, for the past 20 years, I've been doing the big dogs in my 
boob high bathtub. So they were really high when I was drying them and stuff. That's probably part of your shoulder problem. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. But I now, now, all of a sudden, they're in a more normal place for the human dog relationship instead of dog being towering over the human and me struggling to well teaching everybody to turn is the only really way it worked for me but really it's a new world they listen better I can look them in the eyes you know it's no more looking at their chest oh god it's a new world I'm telling you oh I'm so happy I'm so happy and that that was my week that's all I've just been living with the joy of my new table Barbara how was your week Oh, my week was kind of mediocre, but <laughs> I did have one day that was kind of weird. And it was a day that Dave worked for me and I went to work and he was in a bad mood and it just made me wish I worked alone. <laughs> people don't take responsibility for how their mood, their sourness affects the people and the animals around them. And his day just kind of spiraled downward. He broke a pair of shears. He slammed stuff around and then broke. And I said, you know, dude, are you all right? And, oh, I'm just having a bad week. Well, thanks a lot for, you know, like punishing me with it. <laughs> and everybody, the dogs, the whole thing. So I just let him be, you know, like, I mean, what choice do I have? I just let it be. And by the end of the day, when we had a hand strip a terrier together, <laughs> I was like, oh no, today is the day that I hand strip across the table from this guy. By the time we got to that, he was okay. And we had a good across the table experience. I mean, we just got a bushel of hair out of this border terrier and I charged it a bushel of money. <laughs> And it was pretty good. But my best moment was yesterday. I groomed a, uh, this is from my client, Pam, who used to be a cat customer. And I've talked about her before because she listens to us. She's also a listener. So we do have some like pet owner client listeners that tune in. And she has this um, King Charles Spaniel mix rescue that is the happiest dog alive. The dog is so happy that it wags its tail so much and smiles at me so much that it's real hard for me to trim the back end of it because it's smushing the hair with <laughs> its tail. <laughs> you know, we started out grooming her. She didn't want me to do anything other than the paws because I think she was afraid I would do this groomer transformation. She wouldn't recognize her dog. That's what happens sometimes. But I just did a few little things and a few little things and she liked what I did. So yesterday she gave me permission to do whatever I wanted. And I just tidied the dog up real nicely but didn't drastically change anything. For example, she had hair on the front of her legs it just didn't really work for a nice shoulder and leg setup and so I took that off with a snap-on comb you didn't even notice that I had done that but it just made her look more intact you know and I scissored her furnishing some but I didn't like shave the legs down or anything and then she had a tail that was so straggly 
it had hairs like my fingers wide apart, <laughs> just sticking out. And I just trimmed her tail fairly tight and it looked like it should. She was so happy. And that's the kind of thing that just makes my freaking day. Just to take a mutt like that and make it, you know, she showed me a picture of her dog at daycare and she goes to this daycare place. It's a private home daycare and they have all of these kind of Australian shepherd retriever dogs, bigger dogs than um, Mulligan. And somehow this woman who owns it gets all these dogs to stand on these steps and she takes a group picture and they're all looking at the camera. It's such a good photo. And here's a little mulligan in the middle of two Australian shepherds. And she says, I always see these pictures she sends every week. It looks like her mommy forgot it was picture day. <laughs> <laughs> And she was so happy with my tidying up. She can't wait for her to be in the picture again, you know? So that's the kind of thing. Doesn't have to be a major breed standard, you know, I did the terrier right kind of thing. It's the small stuff. When you use your skills to delight the customer, that makes my day. I did forget something. You did? Yeah. I did a cat yesterday that had a list of instructions, which that's fine. I love a list of instructions because it focuses you to what they're looking for. Yeah. It was a snowshoe, which is a doodle of cats. And uh, (laughs) they're nice cats, pretty beautiful, lovely cats. And apparently had constant ear infections. So they have gooey ears on the cat and it has a lot of hair. So they want the hair off and blah, blah, blah. I get there. And the cat's ears are perfectly fine. No infection. Maybe they've been working on it for long enough, but why are they continuing to put greasy crap in this cat's ears then? I didn't go there because this is the first time I met them. Because I'll still take cats. I'll take anybody's cats. So the other complaint on their little list was that the cat was really oily and greasy. Oily, greasy, yucky hair. They've never combed the cat. The cat was a web of undercoat and greasy, dirty, yucky, lifelong of undercoat stuck underneath this cat. I actually had to comb it before I could cut it with a reasonable length comb. But what do you do? I wanted to say, hey, well, I did. I came in with uh, a uh, show season foaming pet wash that they could wash the cat's ears with to try and cut it back and I said the ears look great and then the other thing was I took the cat comb the funny two teeth one teeth two teeth yeah. one teeth cat comb the and I, shedding cat I showed yeah. that to them and then I showed a coarse comb to them and I said do you ever comb your cat uh no, no, we don't comb your cat. Well, I said, I think the reason you're feeling the cat is greasy is because you're not combing this stuff out of the cat. And here's your assignment. If you guys, I'll see you in three months, comb your cat every day. Your Start mission now. should you accept it. <laughs> but I, I so comb the cat. Yeah, I so wanted to dish out a whole ton of great advice. Yeah, you have to yep. be careful. You have to button your lip a little bit first time and, and uh, eke it out. Uh, over the first few visits. <laughs> so you got a tool, didn't you? 
So I have a new tool and it's called, and I got this tool online Home Depot. I was looking for something else and this popped up. I guess I bought some kind of a pet thing from them before. And it's called a gyrator swivel undercoat rake. And what appealed to me was that it was compact. So you can hold it in your palm and it's got a double set of staggered undercoat pins. So it's a staggered comb rake thing. And the trick is that it's got a grip. It's got a handle that you put your fingers in. How would you describe this handle? I would say it's an oval loop that attaches to the back of the brush, which is also an oval. And you can put your hand through it and it moves. I mean, you can ratchet. And then you can ratchet it. Yeah, right. you can adjust it to many different angles. It's got a little push button click thing. It clicks into place, so it's not gonna move on its own, but you can get many angles out of it you can hold it you can hold it like this with your funny shaped arthritic hands <laughs> for people that are struggling with using regular combs and brushes all the time and need i found that if i use different tools if i rotate around the tools i have less pain that's mm -hmm. the bottom line i have less pain than when i just use the same tool over and over and over again all day long so I bought this. It was only, it was under $20. So I um, hope so. I thought, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm cheap. I can't help it. <laughs> well, come on. It's not China. Although I did get a new, really beautiful eight inch shear from China for under $20 that I'm, uh, Helen, I'm buying shears from China because I can't get anything sharpened well around here. And the last time I sent out shears for sharpening, they came back in, they were sharpened, but the, they weren't packed well for shipping. Mm -hmm. And one was lost. One of my original areas, I heard German shears was lost. And it, you know, it was just a hardship. I, I wasn't happy at all. So I'm very leery about shipping out shears again. And the local sharpening situation is just really bad. So I'm just buying new ones. I mean, I mean, for, for $27, it's going to cost me $25 to have my Chris Christensen shears. Um, sharpened. Yeah. Sharpened. So plus I might, so I might as well, yeah, plus shipping back and forth. So I might as well buy a new pair. And, you know, I've just found these Chinese scissors off of uh, AliExpress are fine. I mean, I don't know how long they're going to last, but they're going to last at least as long as sharpening would. Oh, I was going to say, I understand the, the not wanting to send your shears out. One time a sharpener had an assistant and they sent it to a place they didn't work at anymore with the name of, of a different groomer on it. And unfortunately for me, the owner and that groomer had a big falling out and she tossed all of my sharpening in the dumpster. Ah! <laughs> yeah. And I hadn't worked there for like a year. It wasn't like... I had just left. <laughs> wow. That's criminal. Uh, yeah. Isn't that criminal? 
<laughs> yeah, the sharpener replaced all of my things, but one pair of the thinners that I had sent out were irreplaceable. They didn't make that line anymore. Yeah, see, and, that's the thing. Yeah, I've never found a pair of thinners I liked better than that, and I know it's probably just in my mind that those thinners were that good, but it really makes me mad <laughs> every time I think about it. <laughs> yep, I am grateful that Randy comes through Seattle, Tacoma every year because I can go a year. His sharpening is so good. I'm excited to see what he says about the two pairs of my AliExpress shears that I bought to test because one of them seems to be holding just fine. The really nice ones with the funny plastic handles, those are the bomb. I love those shears. <laughs> I knew you would. I know. I knew you would because they're so lightweight and you have such damaged hands. Who would have thought that the scissor diva that I am, I would like this plastic handled shit from China. But, <laughs> you know, but look at Igram was selling these shares for mega bucks and I'm sure they're the same. They're fantastic. They hold an edge. But the other ones I got, which was a super curve, did not hold their edge. And I'm just interested to see what it is that's the difference, what Randy tells me, because he is a master. Yeah, Randy actually, well, we're both in Pennsylvania, but because I see him at the shows, I feel more confident giving him my sharpening there. Yep. So he just did all of my blades, actually. So one of the things that I found out from a different sharpener that I was talking to at a specialty is that sometimes it's the mechanic in the, the inside of how they're actually held together. I had a pair of shears with a really fancy decorative dial and they showed me there's like a little screw that helps hold that decorative piece on, but it completely makes the shears like unsharpenable. Surprise. And they tried and they showed me in front of me, they like resharpened them and the tips, it's a super curve as well. And uh, the tips will not cut. They just, no matter how many times they, they tried to redo it in front of me. And she's like, it's this screw. It's like, once that little, it's not the original factory metal or like once you take it apart, it's never going to go back together again. Kind of, you know, like a lot of things that we do in our lives. <laughs> Don't ever take it apart. <laughs> Those little ornamental details always fall off. They fall yeah. off. Everything that I've ever had stuck on my, so then you're stuck with like the, the thing that used to hold the gem on there or whatever. Yeah. It looks stupid. and Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm, a, I'm always a function over beauty kind of person. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and I learned the color dipped shears, they just mm -hmm. don't, they just don't hold up as well as just the plain silver. Silver, yeah. Stainless and do. I think, you know? I think a lot of it too is that because a lot of the shears that are sold in the U.S. are from China and they are kind of value shears they're not a really good high metal and you can put 44c on the back of any scissor because i could print my name on any scissor i just need to pay to have them print my name on yeah. it and i there's a non development i just ordered it out of a catalog and the only way you would know that it's not a high quality shear is if you actually went and had the metal tested and like who has time or money or like mistrust that. enough to do that <laughs> good point <laughs> That's yeah there's bogus information uh, floating around in the marketing of shears as well mm -hmm. as products. Yep. So um, I'm going to date myself. In this crowd, it doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> <laughs> Barbara, you're.
you're one of the first webinars that I ever took because I did the Beyond Suds and Scents and the All About Shears from back on groomers.net. Wow. I have my books. I actually, they were up here. I think I actually put them back down in my groom room, but I'm, I'm in my office right now. But yeah. And I always show people the Beyond the Suds and Scents book because I was like, look at all this information. And this is why we buy like the shampoos we do at the shop and stuff. So I just want you to know that because you really did have like a huge impact very early on in my career. Wow. Thank you. That gets a ding. Jeez. Definitely. I'm always so, I'm always so, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I guess I just underestimate myself too much all the time and even though I try not to do that it's just kind of an automatic thing I need to be reminded thank you yeah. for that yeah yeah and, and that was back like I don't even remember I it was way before zoom and facebook and all that so I mean that was yeah, way way back in the day and I, I seven, somewhere around there yeah yeah <laughs> the super cool thing about Barbara is you can take that class way back when, and she's continuing to learn and grow and change and mm -hmm. develop. So if you take that class again, you're going to see the newest version and the newest thinking. And because the beauty industry and that, and we are kind of a sideways mm -hmm. part of that is constantly evolving and changing. And Barbara really keeps up with it, which is not necessarily traditional in our industry. And as a matter of fact, we're going to talk about that in our next segment right after this. Let me tell you about Best Shot's newest addition to the Ultramax Pro line. Ultramax Hair Hold is a flexible hairspray that can be layered on for a stronger hold. Ultramax Hair Hold Spray is great, but my favorite new product is called the Max, and I won't groom without it. It's a fragrance-free, ultra-concentrate conditioner and detangler. It reduces drying time and handles undercoat and tangles like magic. Just a few drops in the final rinse or spray it on and dry it in. Contact your favorite Best Shot distributor or learn more online at bestshotpet.com. Grooming success begins with Best Shot in your tub. Made from the best stuff on earth. Chris Bear Anthony here visiting the Groom Pod. So, if you know me, you know how much I love my Evolution shears. They are the only shears I actually use. So check out all the options, including customizable non-swivels, at evolutionshears.com and give Abby a shout with any questions you might have. GroomPod listeners get $10 off and free shipping with the code GroomPod. So check them out today. Your hands will thank you. Ready, groomers? Here comes our first appointment. So the real reason I dragged Helen over here to our show is because I heard a groomer problems that she did on Groomer Town Hall, which I usually don't get to catch the whole of. Like this morning, I saw like 10 minutes and then I had to go do this and feed the horse and all this other crap. But I actually was able to sit through a whole one because Barbara was doing her webinar at that time. And she was talking about the state of the trade shows and continuing education and all of that. And this has always been something that Barbara and I have talked about well endlessly really the state of our trade shows is interesting there are some independent shows but a lot of the shows are run by one company and the thing that is really my biggest pet peeve is the way they pay or don't pay 
the speakers. And Helen, you kind of went off on that. I'm going to hand this over and, and you go, you go girl. And we'll just. (laughs) Okay. Um, So, yes, I was talking about the continuing education because I've only been competing. This is starting my 10th year of competing the Atlanta pet fair, which is now groomed was my actual first trade show. And I went four months after I started grooming. Grooming's my second career. And I I went to this trade show. I stayed with somebody that I had met on groomers.net, complete internet stranger. We didn't even use real names back then. I had the best time. And I'm really grateful to that experience because I think it was instrumental in making me the groomer that I am today. But I've been around now for I've been grooming for this will be 17 years in April and I have seen how it's changed even pre-COVID trade shows were a little different there's a couple major companies that that run them and the largest of them all it used to be like such an honor to be like a judge there people would be like I'm I'm judging at this show I'm speaking at this show and it was a huge deal and now over the years, and I understand business is business and you you have to cut costs, but a lot of the speakers are just selected kind of at the beginning of the year, around October. You're supposed to send a list in of the topics you'd like to cover and all of the shows that you are already planning on attending. And that's where the problem comes in because while that's happening and that's not necessarily a bad thing because there is more opportunities and more seminars in general at those shows for people to speak. The problem comes in where on the other half of where you're getting your speakers is from vendors. And a lot of vendors are being consolidated. They're being bought. There's a mergers. There's a company called Nexus that bought a lot of the major shampoo companies. And then they've done away with their brand ambassadors. So they may be internet brand ambassadors, but they're not paying these for these people to attend the shows. And so then it puts that burden of, oh, if you want to do this, you need to pay your way and then work for us. And it's prohibitively expensive to pay for your own travel. Yes. Yes. I compete. I made groom team in 2021. My ultimate goal is to make the travel team. And if I added it up, I probably spend $15,000 a year on that. That is my major hobby, my major investment. I bought my van two and a half years ago, and I have put 70,000 miles on it. Holy cow. Yeah. It's not easy. It's a lot of time off. I thankfully have a, a wonderful, supportive employer. I still groom, but I also have an operations role, so I can do that virtually. And so I am able to virtually work from the trade shows sometimes when I'm not in the ring. If it's a travel day and I'm traveling with somebody, I'll work in the passenger seat while they drive. But it's a sacrifice. And not a lot of people can make that sacrifice, especially if they have families. Like I made the decision not to have children when I was 20. I was like, that's not for me. This is my entire life. And that's why I can do this. But it still is. It it wears you down. And um, if you're not being paid to be there or or at least getting some kind of financial help and, you know, the the company will pay you for your seminar, but if you're only doing one and it's $200 an hour and they, you know, you spent 1800 getting there, why would you go? And that's where we're really running into issues because a lot of great speakers with like really great information 
aren't interested in spending that much money to go hang out at a trade show for a weekend to maybe speak. And that's why you don't see me there. Right. (laughs) That's exactly it. And it fosters people speaking who are not really at a level to be imparting the information because what they're doing is representing their product at a trade show. That is not who we want to learn from. Those are not the people we're trying to learn from to better ourselves as groomers. Those are the people who are trying to sell us the products and it's just backwards to have them be the people who are teaching us. It doesn't make sense to me. It drives me crazy. And because they won't pay in anything but here have a table, you have to be selling something. A book, a video is not enough. You actually have to have a product line of some sort, or in your case, be sponsored by someone who has a product line where they've got a booth that it's, ah, it drives me nuts. Yeah. And I will say um, last year was the first year I was ever sponsored in my 10 years. So I was doing this on my own and I did speak, um, you know, at the shows because I was traveling uh, and I was available a little bit more than I did last year. And I, I, I'm 95% sure I'm never going to be invited to speak again, but, um, <laughs> did you say the F word? Cause that'll take you out. <laughs> no, um, only in the South. Okay. Only in the yeah, South, in the, in the Northwest, Pacific Northwest, you can drop it. California, don't drop it in Atlanta. (laughs) Yeah. Or Dallas. Or Dallas. No. And it's terrible because I'm from the mid-Atlantic. So like I'm from Philly. My first word was not a polite word. Um, (laughs) My grandfather was doing physical therapy. We'll leave it at that um, (laughs) over my baby bouncer. But uh, the speaking at the trade shows, there, there are a lot of people who don't want to speak at the trade shows anymore for a myriad of reasons. Some of it is because they do have to take that time away from their family or the financial obligation of getting there or having to work a trade show booth, which is exhausting. That's what I'm kind of doing this year is I'm working the pedigree grooming booth, the supply company, and you know doing one or two competitions. And I did one competition at Pasadena, worked the booth, and I was in bed by 8 p.m. every night. Because I was exhausted. Uh, it's exhausting listen, talking to people. <laughs> when I worked the year for Chris Christensen, I spoke and was at the booth, and they wouldn't let me sit down. And uh, I, you know, and I had a bad back and a bad knee, and I just wanted to sit on a stool. I didn't have right. to be all the way down out of the, so that I could be at eye level with people, and they could come up, and I could exchange with them and as far as I was concerned I could perform perfectly you right. know but they didn't they know we stand here to do this job that's ridiculous we teach groomers to know when it's time to sit down but, yeah but they won't sit down in a booth and then the the other thing is that I wanted to guide people to the tool that was going to satisfy them but they, but they would just die if I would say, don't buy that, buy this, you right. know? Oh, no, you just got to let them buy what they want to buy. They were, and then and also sell them the other thing. That the you, other thing, you know, yeah. Like, uh, it was agony. And the other thing I, I have an issue about qualifications and topics, because mm-hmm. people get forced into speaking on 
topics for which they're not totally qualified and they just do their best and they pass on information that they were passed on and so on and so forth and how they learned what they learned back in 1996 when they certified. It's not always up to date, accurate information. And there's a difference between a competitor that also speaks and a person that's committed to becoming an educator. Mm-hmm. You know, not all people who groom well are good teachers. Right. No, I, I completely uh, agree with that because I actually was having a conversation with a different, like a independent, one of the independent shows coordinators. And they said to me, they're like, well, can you teach? And it's a legitimate question. And I am confident that I am a good teacher. I can second that. <laughs> Thank you so much. I yep. really appreciate that. <laughs> I'm not always confident in my grooming skills. I, even though I've done well for myself, I know I have a lot to learn. And I think that one of the skills of a quality educator or quality teacher is like Susie said, Barbara, you never stop learning. I'm never gonna stop learning. Pina never stops learning. There are people that are teaching that have just been like, well, I'm as good as I'm ever gonna get and I have nothing left to learn. That's not the right attitude for an educator. And I think that that's really speaking to qualifications and and things like that. I've seen people teach breed specific seminars that are not known for that breed. That barely do that breed. You're never going to see me teach an English Springer Spaniel seminar ever. The only two breeds of dogs that I would feel confident teaching, well, is like a modern on a poodle a Kerry Blue or a Cocker Spaniel. And I'll be the first to admit my Cocker Spaniels aren't as good as I want them to be. Oh, but they're beautiful. That doesn't mean they won't be. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you again. But they're not, I know I can do better and I can teach what I know. And, and yes, I have had a lot of success with them and they're very pretty and I do a really nice job, but it's not as good of a job as I can do because I'm still learning them. There's a lot to know. They're very different from dog to dog and color to color and it's it's a challenge but it's those pigeonholing people well you're popular so you're going to bring people in so like teach this or oh you did like a live on that like I've I've done little mini videos and stuff like I like Asian fusion I dabble um I've done like a little live for groomer tv on that I've done um a live on like a schnauzer pattern on a pet because that's one of honestly my favorite salon cuts is a really well done schnauzer right a clip Mm -hmm. schnauzer but I'm not going to teach a hand strip schnauzer it's not something that I do regularly enough and I think a lot of the problems that we're having with the education and quite frankly it's repetitive because it's the same people in the same classes just with different titles sometimes is that people are getting bored and they're not learning what they think they should learn. And I don't think that we have honest reviews of speakers. I think some people take it personally if they get a negative review, right? Nobody wants criticism. We all want to think that we're like flawless and everybody learned (laughs) and they were completely wowed by us, right? But that's not reality. And if I taught a class and somebody went into my class expecting to learn X, Y, and Z, and they only learned Y and Z, it's helpful for me to know that they expected to learn X because maybe I can incorporate it into a future class. And I think that's really 
being an educator is if someone did take a repeat of my class, I want them to learn something new from that next one. Right, right. Updated, updated information. There are people that are teaching the same seminar now that they were teaching 10 years ago or right. longer. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> No, I agree. And um, if anyone's attended my classes, I have PowerPoints, but I don't put the information on the PowerPoint. The PowerPoint slides are for me to remember what my next talking point is about. And so I think that helps keep it fresh because once I learn something, if I have an interaction with the audience and they say, actually, I know this, maybe then my next one, I say in my seminar, someone from my last seminar said this to me and I researched it and X, Y, and Z now. And I think it's such an important skill to have. It is something you can learn, but it takes practice and also being comfortable enough knowing you're not perfect and that everything you say is not the Bible to be able to grow. We get a lot of people that are like, but I'm popular, so I have to be right. I don't have to be right. It helps that I'm right most of the time. Like that really boosts my confidence, but <laughs> I am honest enough with myself to know that I'm not always right. There's always another perspective to look at or something else to learn. It doesn't mean I'm going to change my mind about something or I might say like, okay, well, you think this way and I think this way. And although I'm going to say this thing in my seminar, I will mention that people might not agree with me, but this is from my experience. The most powerful and words in the world are, I don't know. And it's okay yeah. to say I don't know, but then go home and find it. Go look it up, do some research, add to your program, if you will. Yeah, it's all good. Exactly. Hang on a sec. We're going to run another quick break and then we'll be right back. Sometimes my clients don't like a walking air freshener. When these crazy people request a scent-free option, I go right to show season. I think that everybody should have show season True Tearless Shampoo, and Show Season Hypo Conditioner on hand. Show Season has formulated True Tearless Shampoo with alternative surfactants that are less irritating, but still clean very well. And the Hypo Conditioner is one of the best fragrance-free conditioners in the market. And if you guys would like to find some Show Season True Tearless or Hypo Conditioner, go to showseasongrooming.com. Hey, Susie, I've got a new thing that I do that I actually combine something from two of our sponsors. You want to hear about it? Yes. So I have been working with a fragrance-free uh, leave-in conditioner detangler by using a half an ounce of show season hypo conditioner and a little bit of the Max from Best Shot. And it just makes for an excellent uh, fragrance-free detangler that has some greater conditioning scope than just the silicone. So I just kind of created that on my own and I'm very happy with it. Just I take a half an ounce of the Best Shot Max diluted 16 to one and add it 
to a half an ounce of show season hypo conditioner and then fill it a 16 ounce spray bottle with distilled water, shake it up real good before I use it every time. And voila. Excellent deal. There are independent shows that we can go to amongst the nation here and even internationally, I'm sure, that will help us to support people that pay their speakers. Well, there's the Teton show. There's one in Colorado Springs. That's an independent Mm -hmm. show. Who else is there? There's the Pet Pro Classic, which is ISCC Dallas. There's the Whitman show, which is ran by the Whitman's uh, company, Nick Sklar. There is Charm City Grooming in Maryland. There's one in British Columbia. I'm not sure what they call yeah. it. That's the West Coast Groom Fest in That's support good. of that live stream, which you know we were talking about earlier. I did start a Facebook group, which is independent grooming education and competitions. So I have a, a pretty active list there. I would say most of the shows in Europe and Australia and South America are independently are independent. run. Even if they're sponsored by a larger corporation, so like Pet Society, which owns Hydra, does like a grooming one in Brazil, and it's a big, big show, they don't own all of the shows, which is good because like there's the Toronto, Ontario grooming show coming up, the TOG show as it's affectionately called, that's in the first weekend of May. They're having Amy Manser come over as a judge, and if it has was... Any other weekend of the year, I would move heaven and earth to get there. But it's the Bichon National Specialty, and I have a little show Bichon, and I already made plans to go to that. Uh, yeah, it's, so it's I'm hard when things like that conflict. I am super bummed because Amy Manser is like the best cocker. Like we always talk about Mackenzie here in the U.S. Amy Manser is like the best cocker groomer in the entire world. She won Best in Show at Groomania in 2017. Groom Team England won gold this year. She did the cocker there. So she just, and she has such a unique way of doing her cocker spaniels, but I just want to see it in person because I've taken webinars and I just had to watch what she did like 20 times and I still am like not getting it. So (laughs) webinars are another way we can support independent speakers. Mm-hmm. Barbara can do those. We don't even have to travel for that. <laughs> and uh, Mary Aquendo has a large amount of information out there. Lots of webinars. PositiveEd.com. Yeah, I'm a content contributor for there. I actually may have a little soon-to-be-announced project with her in regards to that. So I'm hoping to get that started going over the summer. But um, she's so supportive of up and coming groomers that want to be speakers, just really giving them a platform. She's the person who actually launched my speaking career. I don't want to say she kidnapped me (laughs) to convince me to be a speaker, but the Pacific Northwest show, she gave me a ride back to the airport and I get in her car and I sit down and she's like, so I need to talk to you about something. And, uh, you know, like the doors automatically click, but still it's like that movie moment where you're like on a bridge and she's like, I need to talk to you about something. And it was about speaking. She has a workshop to help you develop a program. So if anybody listening has something that they feel very passionately about and aren't sure where to start or how to actually go about developing your seminars, she's a great resource for that. 
And she consolidates and makes available a lot of continuing education. We appreciate her for that. And uh, so the state of our certification organizations are in flux as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't see it, but Helen just took a huge breath. Uh, it's an interesting time to be in the industry. Interesting is an interesting choice of words. Um, I choose nice, polite words. That's my thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have been working on my ISCC certification for 15 years. And <laughs> back in my day, you had to go proctor at a library, right? And so some things have changed. And now you can do it online, which makes it easier. But because I had to drive three towns over for a library that had a proctor service, and which in Pennsylvania, three towns over is not like 20 minutes, it's like 45. I kind of put it on hold. And I did my NDGAA. Um, my sister was a groomer briefly. She attended Maryfield School of Pet Grooming. So we went down for a workshop in February, at, because they had it at the school at the time. And uh, she went and toured the school and we had this like great weekend where I started my certification, she applied to the school. I completed my NCMG seven or nine years ago. I honestly have to look at my resume to tell you the year. <laughs> and it's been such a near and dear organization in my life. And I actually at the Teton show, someone encouraged me to seek out to be a certifier for them. So that was kind of going to be one of my things that I looked into this year. And then it got sold. And much like how I talked about Nexus buying companies earlier, the AKC inevitably bought the certification portion of the NDGAA. And there's a lot of talk about it and how it's not changing and you know, oh, they're going to keep the integrity and this, that, and the other thing. And I mean, I don't think it's too early for any of us to know because they haven't done any testing. There hasn't been a lot of information. We're told it's been two weeks. It's been this, this many days. And honestly, I don't have anything against the AKC program. I'm actually one test away from finishing the AKC master program. I don't think that their own program is a master level and that's okay. It's new. But Susie and Barb, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I uh, I cried a lot when I first read the announcement. I'll probably get a little emotional about it because it meant so much to me. It's rough. I mean, this is a rough takeover. It is. And I think, I don't think that it's that because the AKC took over. I think that quite frankly, a lot of people feel betrayed, right? Yep. Because this was like an institution and now it's it's no longer. And it's not like, we're, you know, we're planning on moving on or anything. It was just boom, gone one day. You know, it'd be like everyone's beloved celebrity dying and every, you know, I know like, it was like a death. Yeah. It hit me like a death. I think what happened? I guess they got tired or old or something, you know, like for me, it's a second death because I'm ICMG. So my organization died five years ago or whatever. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people actually remember IPG before Linda had it. Right. I was actually trying to explain to somebody how it used to be. And that's actually going all the way back to groomers.net. Like a lot of th that original crew was on there and, and we kind of watched it have a swan song in lifetime. And that's what I think I have a different perspective on the grooming industry because 
I've been at the trade shows longer than most, but I've also started competing with what is considered like my generation of competition groomers. But I had already been at all the shows and seen all the things for almost a decade. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm kind of much like I'm a millennial. I'm at that bridge where like I went and played outside until sundown. And then I also have a Android phone that I can use completely and understand computer coding. And so I think, yeah, it's like it felt like a death. I, that's a great way to describe it. And I'm worried too, because a lot of the certification now, two programs are owned by the same company. And that as much as they're like, we're no, we're going to keep them separate. That doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make business sense. It doesn't make business sense. Much like Nexus buying three different shampoo companies with three very extensive shampoo lines. There's no way you're going to keep all of those products. It doesn't make sense to be your own competitor. You know, vertical, sure, like Boss Pet Nations, great. They diversified so that they have all kinds of different things under their umbrella. That makes sense. But some of these other mergers, they don't. And that's where really I think where my worry comes from. And I'm I'm trying to stay positive and keep an open mind. I'm not saying the NDJA program was perfect. It definitely could use a little dusting off and updating like everything else. But I, I do worry about groomers. And I'm not talking about today's groomers. I'm talking about the Chris Pulaski's, the Pinas, the uh, Judy Hudson's, the Diane Bellacks, all those people that taught everybody that's in the ring now not being involved in it. And I'm not saying that they're not going to be given a voice, but I think when we're talking about certifying groomers, because there's always that shadow of legislation and licensing over us, and I am admittedly pro-licensing because I think that we need to focus on safety and the safety of our pets in our care. And I don't think that a basic understanding of that is a bad thing, but the certification was a step towards that. And if groomers aren't involved in that, it's the same thing as letting lawmakers make our licensing requirements. You know, groomers should be involved in their own fates. Yep. And that's really where my worry comes from, is that the people that are involved seemingly in this are not groomers. And how can somebody that is not a groomer certify a groomer? Do we want vets licensing us or do we want groomers to write the licensing? And it's the same way with certification. Amen. And yeah, I know. The other the other point that I have is that it's one thing to certify, but if there's no public relations going on of the value of certification, it's very hard for an individual just to promote their own value. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's none of that. I mean, I think that our, that our fees for certifying ought to cover some kind of public relations, even a, a bumper sticker. Come on. Right. You know, like, right. <laughs> uh, we need some kind of public education of the value of certification. And we're not, there's, there's never been any, and there's never been any representation in Washington in the whole law. We don't have a lobbyist. We don't have a lobbyist, you know? We need somebody with skills, lobbying skills, that knows our industry, that can represent us when stuff happens there. Last year, there was a major legislation updating the 
requirements for cosmetic manufacturers. The labeling, they're going to have to identify fragrance allergens on labels in five years. There's, everybody has to keep records of uh, adverse events. We don't have any way to consolidate bad experiences of consumers, of pet owners in our industry. There's no. not a simple act of including animal grooming products under that legislation would have just like set us up and brought us forward gigantically. There wasn't anybody in Washington to lobby for that inclusion of animal grooming products in that. You know, it, it there's just like a lot missing and it doesn't seem to be getting there. There's just this, it's getting less rather than more, more. advanced. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I completely agree with that because I have to explain to the company that I work for, I'm on the operations team. We have 25 groomers within 12 locations and we have many more locations, but it's a vet driven pet center. And it's a Philadelphia startup. Um, I was the second groomer they ever hired. I actually complained my way to a job, which is the first time I, I ever did that. Um, <laughs> but they made me a role because I had solutions. And I have, I've had to explain to them, my employees, coworkers, why they can't use certain products because there isn't a full label. Now, there's no guarantee that my full label has actually all the ingredients because, like you said, there's no regulation for animal products. But I refuse to use something that says coconut-based cleanser on it. I just absolutely do because if there is a problem, we are first and foremost a vet hospital. And I can't tell a client dog, I don't know what I used on your dog because it's not on here. I can't say, well, it's a coconut-based cleanser. Like it doesn't make any sense and saying all natural or paraben free, like none of that, those are all marketing terms. And I don't care to hear that. I want right. something that works well and is a gentle on the dogs. And I want to, yes, I understand everything can cause cancer and everything can poison you. You can die from drinking too much water. So like, I don't want to hear about any of that. I want to see the levels that it's in. I want to see the, the ingredients. I know I'm not a chemist, but I can kind of understand, all right, this is a really safe product. Every ingredient in a cosmetic has an exposure level, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you can see like, okay, if these are all ones, like, yes, sure. Just like you can mix two things together that are inert and cause an explosion. But like, generally speaking, we're not going to do that in a bottle. Right. Of shampoo that we're going to ship somewhere and like have trucks blowing up everywhere. That would not be great for business, <laughs> but I should be able to look at the ingredients and, and make a determination that, you know what, these are relatively safe. Understanding that the order of the ingredients is generally what the volume is in there. And the first five ingredients are the most important, right? Right. Generally speaking, I, in good consciousness, can't groom a pet if I can't see those first five ingredients and they're actually ingredients. And I understand, again, like I am making a faithful leap that the companies that say I am disclosing all of my ingredients actually are. are. But I also believe that we use show season shampoos in our salons and we use Melanie Newman and we were using iGroom, but now it's They've getting a little. Yeah, iGroom, that's another whole story. 
And yeah. uh, I'm ready to come out and are you shout because about we've been it. holding back on this for a long time. Well, I'm I'm ready, Susie, yeah. because I I'm convinced that it's not going to be remedied. That their ingredients have been changed because of the acquisition. You know, instead of having very unique products with unique ingredients that were at a top level in the cosmetic industry, they now are more the same as everybody else. Yeah, I actually yeah. used iGroom when I went to the Cocker specialty because the woman that I work for sells it. And I hadn't used it in a year and it tore my hands up and it never used to do that. I and believe so, it. Regardless of the pet, like, and, and I know that's terrible to say, but I'm exposed to it multiple times per day. So why shouldn't right. I know what's in it? Right, right. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. The exposure is a whole part of the risk equation. And it's the groomers and the bathers that are getting exposed the most day in and day out over and over again. The dog gets exposed once a week if it's a show dog, you right. know, but mostly every four to six weeks, mm -hmm. one exposure. But we're getting multiple exposures per day, you know, and groomers that are doing hand washing are getting even more exposure because they're actually in the product. Whereas when I use my recirculator, like my hands are not getting in the product nearly as much as when I was massaging. Mm -hmm. This is just another reason why animal grooming, whoops, I just lost my, my <laughs> sense of hearing here. Um, whoops. I'm wild about this. I'm wild about this, you know? This lack of legislation, that was because in the beginning, pet grooming wasn't a very big deal. You right. know, it was something that was the clients, even when I started in 1971, the clients were all from the foothills. They were all upper class and upper middle class people, which is a small portion. <laughs> they were the one percenters. Right you know, that had the poodles and the cockers. And now it's boomed. It's mm -hmm. exponentially greater. There's just hundreds of groomers that are being exposed to these products. Plus hundreds of people at home are using these products without any education or training or ability to read a label. Come on, it's time. It's yeah. time. It's definitely time. And I mean, it's just scary knowing that like a lot of groomers don't realize that like the label that they're reading isn't a label. I can go downstairs. I can put a bunch of stuff in a pot, put it in some of these bottles that I just bought and sell it to you as pet shampoo. Right. I can tell you anything is in it. And unless I like give you my ingredients list, there's no way to check it. Everybody buys shampoo on the way it smells. It makes me bonkers, to be honest, because clean doesn't smell. Clean doesn't smell good and it doesn't smell bad. It doesn't smell at all. <laughs> You're talking to the queen of fragrance over here, Mrs. Scott, who buys everything by fragrance. <laughs> but I at least admit it's all for my own purpose. The, the whole <laughs> fragrance thing is another whole conversation, which we love to engage in because fragrance has taken over our culture. It's huge. Now you put extra fragrance beads in your clothing dryer. 
right? Do you do that, Susie? They go in the wash. <laughs> or in the dryer. But there's just fragrance added to everything. You add fragrance to the freaking toilet. Come on. <laughs> but on my dogs, you know, like, I, I'm just very conscious of that, is that they are smelling that fragrance, too. So it can't just be for us. But I think, like, all of that, again, it can go back to... The legislature, like we talked about, which we don't have a lobbying organization. The closest we have is that group that um, a few of the, the big ones belong to. But I, as I understand it, they don't really lobby for the pet industry as much as the animals, which is important. But also we do need, you know, somebody speaking oh. for us as pet professionals. Yeah, but there's no nobody speaking for pet professionals. They're speaking for pet shops. Pet smart and those, you know, like retail pet things, you know, like there's those organizations, but there's nobody representing us. Um, no. They just want to restrict us. Then they want to have some veterinarian man come in and set up some rules for us gals. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of misogyny going on, and that's another whole yeah you know there's a lot of misogyny because of this business our industry being a woman's work thing no and and i i do agree with that because i i have seen some things and um i laugh at it sometimes because i'm like take it you know it is it's it's a very woman-led woman-driven industry and that's why i think quite frankly like the certifications are important because that is our step. And I'm not saying that obviously the AKC has very deep pockets and a, and a household name. I think part of the problem with them now being in charge of what is our largest certification organization is that a lot of consumers don't have a view of what the AKC is. So they might recognize the name, the AKC, much like I recognize Cisco but I don't know all of the things that Cisco does. Mm-hmm. They bring food, but they do like a whole lot of other things. And the AKC is not really great at promoting purebred dogs. So are they gonna be really great at promoting groomers or certified groomers? Because uh, to the point where we kind of got off on this is consumers don't know what a master groomer is. I've had two people ask me what that means in the nine years that I've had that certificate hanging up on my wall. And that includes one of my company's investment firm people, you know, and they're like, what's that? Because my God bless all of the people that I work with. They are so proud of me and supportive. And they introduced me as this is Helen Schaefer, our style services specialist and master groomer. And everyone's like, oh, okay, that's great. I think that they think it's just like a title I gave myself, like overlord of grooming at Heart and Paw, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, right. Like, that's what would be on my business card if I gave myself my own title. But <laughs> <laughs> like you said, they don't understand the value of certification and they don't understand why a groomer should be certified. I mean, so many people are shocked that groomers aren't licensed. And certification was our way of kind of making our own version of that, where you had to choose to be a professional. You're not forced into doing that and and obtaining any of that certification, but you choose to do it 
I always tell people I always did it for myself. I started at PetSmart. I grew up in that like era of like the PetSmart groomers. It's died down a lot now, but it was really virtual, um, virulent, sorry. I had a concussion a few years ago, so my brain picks the wrong word sometimes. Wait till you can get old. Oh yeah, I know. No, it was like, oh, I better get some. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I know. It's just going to get worse. But I, that's why I tell people, I'm like, I'm enjoying my climate change right now because by the time I'm like old enough for it to actually affect me, I'll probably have full-on dementia and not know where I am. <laughs> but it was very aggressive, and I, I do remember being looked down upon because I work where I work, and I would have. I admit. Yeah. I mean, people were not always kind about it. And I think I was so aggressive in getting knowledge and education that I don't want to say like I changed people's minds, but I know I did change some people's minds. I know some people that also started PetSmart and have told me that like I inspired them. And I think that's really important is because I do try to make room for corporate groomers because I was, I was a project manager I wasn't going to leave my cushy office job to go take a chance on shaving dog butts without a safety net. And I think that that's really where some of those corporate groomers are, is they need health insurance. They need like a minimal amount of, you know, oh, yeah. and uh, everybody does really. Yeah, everybody does. The conversation's changed a lot since I started. And I went and I got my certification because I didn't want to just be a pet smart groomer anymore. I wanted to prove that I objectively knew what I was doing, that other people saw my skill level and that I had it. I did it for me and I did it as part of that healing of being, you know, constantly in my mind, I'm just a pet smart groomer. We all have self-limiting talk. And I think it was so easy back then to listen to everybody and be like, oh, well, they just started at PetSmart. They don't know what they're doing. Now, I'm not saying every PetSmart groomer knows what they're doing. I'm not saying that every independent groomer knows what they're doing. We, we've all been around the industry long enough to know that there are no black and whites in this world. But I was very lucky. My salon manager had been a groomer for 30 years and she came to PetSmart for the benefits. There's all That's kinds. Yep. Yeah, there's all yeah, kinds. There's all kinds. You know, I think certification, it's a way to prove that we know what we're doing, that we are professionals, that we're choosing to be professional. Because this is a career you don't have to choose to be professional. You can shave dogs down with a seven blade all day long and still make plenty of money. It's true. In fact, maybe more. Probably tons <laughs> you more. You know, like, really, <laughs> really, maybe more. A lot you know, of the Florida groomers I know, everybody wants a seven because that's what they're used to. And they do like 15 dogs a day and are done before me. And I'm like, I do seven to 10. Now, 10 like a high number for me. That's so I'm a lot. Of, yeah. It's a lot. But I do seven to 10 and I'm never, I, I'm never done before six o'clock ever, ever, unless I'm doing like three yeah, dollars. And I hand strip terriers. Yeah. I hand strip terriers <laughs> and get 125 and somebody could have done three or four little dogs. In that time. Yeah. <laughs> In that time, you know, and I, it's my choice. I got my certification because my customers started calling me a master groomer and I felt guilty mm -hmm. that I didn't really have the credentials. So I said, you know what? I know I'm good and I know that I'm masterful and I know that I've studied breed profiles, but I want that. 
you know, and I got it for myself, but it should be more valuable. The work it takes to certify, it should be more valuable to the public than it is. And the public, the poor public, they don't know one groomer from another. No, they, they don't know. They just either have good experiences or bad experiences. And there's no way to sort that through and predict what the next experience is going to be. I feel sorry for people who move to a new city or town and have to pick a new groomer. A good groomer, it's like picking a good babysitter and hairstylist in one person, right? Yeah. And we're like at an hour and a half, so I should probably okay. I should probably wrap this we thing up. We probably quit. <laughs> Not to mention there are two tiny little baby rats downstairs that I haven't met yet, and I'm so excited uh, to have them. So they did make an appearance over here on the left side of the screen for a moment. I noticed you were distracted. Is that what that was? Yep. Yeah. So I'm okay. going to go down and meet oh, cool. the new babies. Thanks for being here, Helen. Where can people find you if they're looking for you? Thanks for having me. I am very Facebook active. So it's Helen Schaefer, S-C-H-A-E-F-E-R on Facebook. I'm also on Instagram at another underscore groomer. I, I work in Philadelphia. Um, you know, you can always find me on Messenger, Facebook Messenger, email. It's helenj.schaefer at Yahoo. But uh, I, I'm usually fairly available, even if it takes me a minute to answer your messages because I you work full time so <laughs> sometimes a lot of overtime too <laughs> self-inflicted we're just so tickled to death that you came on and spent some time with us barbara anything you need to add no i think i'm done i'm spent <laughs> all right stick a fork in us we are done it was great helen thank you thanks for being here remember to support our sponsors and happy grooming everybody see you next week on the groom pod bye-bye now take care of yourselves we love you Bye.